0: Good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And you're probably wondering that what that piece of plastic is. It's a new design. It's, it's uh, kind of folk. No. Uh, I'm having answered to prayer, and that is that my office is being redone. So the wasted space is being reclaimed. So the door has been taken out, the steps gone, the closet in there. And so I'm going to have room to actually put a couple chairs and a little love seat. So when you meet with me, you don't have to sit on the arm of a chair or the floor any longer. So it's going to be really nice. I'm very thankful for having that done. So excuse, um, you know, our little distraction until it's completed. Also, um, as you know, it's Palm Sunday. So as you leave, make sure you grab a palm. And they're really nice to have to make into a little cross or whatever you want. And, you know, just to remind you of the fact that Jesus Came into Jerusalem, you know, over 2,000 years ago triumphantly as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here's the thing He still is King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our heart. Praise God. And next week is Easter Sunday, what we call Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It's when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And uh, we'll actually be leaving our normal uh, format of going right through the Bible, and we'll have a resurrection um, teachings for both services. Um, Because the resurrection is the very heart and focus of our faith. Without the resurrection, we have no faith. If Jesus hasn't, hasn't arise, arisen from the dead, the scripture tells us we have no hope. But indeed, he has arisen. And so we do have that blessed hope. And if you're wondering where Junior is, Pastor Frank Junior, he's in Ohio. And uh, the Putmans from our church, their daughter is getting married uh, today, actually, uh, in Ohio, and uh, Pastor Frank Jr. is doing the wedding, and his girls are in the wedding. The little ones are bridesmaids, and, and are, um, flower girls, and the older ones are bridesmaids, so they're all, all out there, and you can be praying for them, because they have a long journey home tomorrow morning, and, um, and we miss them, but anyway, we're here, right, ready to praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, because there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, and our salvation is the greatest gift that we have. It's a gift that cannot be taken from us. It's a gift we carry everywhere we go, and it's the promise and hope that we have of eternal life. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come together to celebrate you, to celebrate your word this morning... I pray that you would speak to our hearts and encourage our souls, and let your Holy Spirit open our minds to what, and our hearts to what these portions of Scripture mean, that we might be encouraged in all your ways. And so now come and be among us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, you've all heard the slogan, Jesus is the answer, and we just sang a song in first service, Jesus is the answer. And some people say, well, the answer to what? The answer to life. Because outside of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But in Jesus Christ, we have every promise that there is. You know, one of the things that we have to realize is that when we're born again, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're instantaneously, completely holy, never sinning again. That's not true. But one of the things that we can say as believers is, I you know, am so thankful that I'm not what I was, and I'm praising God for where He's taking me. Because it is a journey. And it is a growing process. And it's a wonderful thing to have that opportunity to grow in the Lord. And here's the thing. When you're growing in the Lord, there are those times that you have a setback. You just get back up and you move forward again. And so that's the promise we have. And and so as we read this portion of Scripture, let it be an encouragement to you. And um, next Sunday, by the way, this is kind of, uh, it's going to be a fun time. But between services next week, between the first and second service, we're actually going to be having a brunch downstairs, and we're going to bust out the propane-powered grill, and Pastor Frank Jr. is going to be cooking sausage, pancakes, and eggs in the grill, and so we're going to have a brunch downstairs in between services. We invite everyone to come, and so those of you that normally come just to the second service, come early for the brunch, then stay for the second service, and I think you'll be blessed. Okay, we are in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34. We'll be finishing 34 up, and we'll be starting with verse 29. i finishing this up, starting with verse 29. You know, one of the things that we have to understand, and I think this is so important, and we're going to be getting into it a little bit in this portion, but the credentials for being a pastor is not a college degree, but a calling from God. You need to understand that. And a man of God must spend time with God, with his face unveiled. We're going to be reading about that in just a moment. And a preacher must bear his heart to God, that the God of glory may fill him with his glory. And so when it talks about going before him with unveiled faces, it's just pulling away all the the pretenses of life. Lord, here I am, a sinner. But you called me, you use me, you speak to me, you empower me. It's going to the Lord and unveiling our face, allowing him, you know, to have full access to our heart. Because the thing we have to realize is that a professional pastor, preacher, sermonizer teaches his thoughts, where a man called of God preaches the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's so important. Because so many people think that. Uh, being a pastor is just some major that you take in college. If you're not called of God, you have no business, business standing behind a pulpit. None at all. It has to be a calling from the Lord. And that calling from God is to preach His Word. You see, it is not about me. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about Him. And therefore, His Word has to be you know, the primary focus and has to be on the throne of what we're sharing. It's the Word of God to man We're going to find in this portion that the radiance of Moses at first actually frightened the people. And some people say, well, why were they frightened? Well, remember last week, the first time Moses came down from Mount Sinai, how he reacted to the people? (laughs) Remember, he was really upset. He took the Ten Commandments and he broke it and and he took the golden calf and threw it into the fire. And he was just all upset with the people. And even though they weren't in this kind of debauchery, when he came down the second time, his face shone. And they're thinking, whoa, he's really going to get after it. So they were frightened at first. But then we find Moses called to to them and said, come to me. And it's just like in our relationship with the Lord. The righteousness of God can seem frightening until we look through the veil of his glory and recognize that he's calling us to himself. That we might experience all that he has to offer. What a blessing it is to know the Lord in that way. Now, in order to understand this portion, we have to read it in light of 2 Corinthians. So keep your finger here in Exodus 34 and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be picking up with verse 12. <coughs> Excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians 3, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, hope of eternal life, being with the Lord, we use great boldness to speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at, um, at the end of what was passing away. In other words, the point he's making is it was starting to pass away, this glory that it shown. And they couldn't look on that glory. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And so in Jesus Christ, we understand the Old Testament the way those under the law can. We understand the full meaning of it. Verse 15. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, listen to this, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. <clears throat> what an encouragement that is to us. His glory is not only being revealed to us, but is working in us in such a way that we also may be a reflection of his glory to those around us. So we're in Exodus 34, starting with verse 29. Exodus 34:29. Now, it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the, from the mountain... That Moses did not know, and understand, he did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. To him, the capital H in your Bible is talking about God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the children of Israel came near And he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put the veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw his face that the skin of Moses' uh, face shone. Then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. Capital H, talking about speaking with the Lord. The radiance of God had shone on Moses' face and he didn't know it. All the others did notice it, but he didn't know it. And it's interesting because the word there for for, for "shown" is kawan. And um, what it actually means is to shoot out rays of light i don't know what that looked like but i think uh we we, when we think of moses unveiled face we just think of like a glow-in-the-dark uh uh, you know little Moji head or something like that but the reality is i don't know what it was like but it was like the radiance of the light just shone just shot forth from from him in such a way that it frightened the people And if you want to turn with me to the Gospel of John, or or you can just listen the Gospel of John, chapter 1, right at the very beginning of John, Um, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him," talking about Jesus, "...and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men." And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So in Jesus Christ, the light of truth shines out to anyone who will receive it. And as we receive it, we are able to reflect the glory of God because his spirit dwells within us. This is the promise that we have, that God's radiance is able to be dwelling in our inner man. And we can be continually before him and have more and more of His radiance bestowed upon us because of our love for Him. Now, God's radiance and holiness still can frighten people away. You know why? It's not in the sense that it frightens them like, Ooh, here comes a monster. It frightens them in the sense of reality. People love to live in a make-believe world, in an unreal world. And all of a sudden, when reality comes shining in, it can frighten people, because they don't want that. They want things to be the way they imagine it to be, rather than the way that it truly and really is. And um, so the fact is that light exposes darkness. And how wonderful when we receive the light rather than reject it. The light either convicts or it cleanses. And usually conviction leads to cleansing. If we're willing to accept it. In other words, the light of God convicts us of our sin. And we have a choice with that conviction. We can either reject it or we can receive that conviction and say, God, forgive me a sinner. And he does. That's the promise of his word. And it's interesting because Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world that we just read in in the Gospel of John... It's so interesting that you can go and talk to people. And you you guys can identify with what I'm saying. You've probably experienced it. But you can talk to people about God. I believe in God. God, God, God. And people are okay with it. But then you say, Jesus Christ. You know, it's like you gave them an electric shock. They'd like to shoot you or punch you or something like that. Why is that? Because... Most people, when they think of God, they're thinking of a generic understanding of who God is. Well, it could be Buddha. Well, it could be Christian. It could be whatever. You know, we all believe in God. We have our own gods we believe in. I believe in Allah. You believe in this. But then when you say Jesus Christ, it's very specific. Jesus Christ, who is God himself in very nature. And that's the reason that we, as believers, sometimes the light of Jesus Christ can be offensive to those around us because we refuse to be around people and, and at least speak to them and share with them in such a way that we're only thinking of some generic God that everyone can... Well, we all believe in God. Well, you might all believe in God, but there's only one big G God, and that's Jehovah, that's Yahweh. That's Elohim. That's Emmanuel. And so we have to understand that the very likeness of the God of heaven is Jesus Christ. And so when we speak with people of Jesus Christ, you know, Yeshua Hamashiach, you know, Joshua, the the gift of God to man. When we speak of Jesus Christ, it can be very offensive to people who refuse to accept the truth of his word. Because we're living in a society where the truth of God's word is just kind of hidden. You just put a kind of a blanket over it. We're, we don't really, you know, we're Christians, but isn't it amazing? In fact, I was just reading a, a, a survey on a Christian website, and certain sin is just as prevalent in the church as it is in the world. Like, all of a sudden, we've come to a place in the church where people say, well, I really love him, well, I really love her. Well, maybe you do, but sin is sin. Well, if you know how my wife was to me, if you know how my husband was to me, well, maybe they are, but sin is sin. Well, you know, I I need to unwind at the end of a stressful day. Okay, maybe you do, but sin is sin. The point that I'm making is that so often we have seemed to have just kind of taken certain sins and just kind of winked at it. Well, it's not really that bad. But the reality is that God's Word is telling us that sin is sin. And we have to be willing to receive the full radiance of God because anything that is in us willfully that we continually live as a lifestyle contrary to God's word is going to inhibit the glory of God from shining through us. Like, for instance, have you ever looked into a mirror that is all wavy or has all kinds of particles in it and stuff? You can't really get a good reflection of yourself. But a mirror that is perfect, you get a great reflection. In fact, only I'm going to tell you a funny story here. <clears throat> but we had, uh, in our living room, as you're walking out of the living room into the dining room by the, the wood stove, we had this big mirror that had been there for probably, I don't know, maybe two or 3,000 years. But that mirror has always been there. And so anytime I'm going anywhere... You know, I get my jacket on and I'm all dressed. The first thing I do is I stop in front of the mirror. It's not that I'm standing in front of the mirror saying, mirror, mirror, on the wall. No, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just standing in front of the mirror making sure everything's the way it should be and stuff like that. Well, Vi switched it. She took that mirror down and she put this uh, weaving that we got years ago from the Mennonites in in Lancaster. It's called the Tree of Life. And she put that there. Well, do you know? Even though that's been there for probably two weeks, I come downstairs and I walk in front of that, and I, where am I? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and I'm, and the point that I'm getting at: we're supposed to be the reflection of Christ. And the more we seek after Him, the more we desire for His holiness to radiate through us, the greater reflection we are. And I heard someone, an evangelist, say years ago that you, your life might be the only gospel that people read. Now, I think that's something worth, you know, considering or thinking about. Now, um, in a similar way, when we spend time with the Lord, His radiance, of course, is reflected through us. We might not see it, but it is. And those who are around us, they see the light of the glory of God in us. And, Have you ever been around someone and they say, you're different. There's something about you. I don't know why you're that way. You don't see it. They do. They're seeing the radiance of God somehow being reflected in your life. And I don't know how many times you guys know that for quite a few years I used to substitute at the high school. And I don't know how many times I had students and teachers say to me, what's different about you? You know, I always tell them, well, I'm short. No, they they say what's different about you, and I tell them it's because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And sometimes they'll say, "Okay, cool." And other times it's like, "Yeah, all right," you know. And they're gone. But the fact is, something is is not visible in the sense of our vision, but something is visible in the sense of the spirit. People understand and know that you belong to Christ. You're different. You're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus and his glory and radiance is being you know, reflected through you to those around you. And oftentimes it does frighten people because it exposes sin. And people don't want that. They don't want that. Now, our lives, of course, should be a reflection of Christ in us. And it's not an artificial light. It's the light of Christ in us. And the reason I say it's not an artificial light is that you have some people who make a profession of faith, and maybe even some people who really are saved, but the life they live is a pretend life. It's a put-on. It's an error. You can't put on a pretend error of Jesus Christ. Either you are his and reflecting his glory, or you're not. But a lot of people like to go around, oh, I'm so righteous and holy, I do this, I do that. you know. And then when they're squeezed, the real them comes out, and that's even a greater discouragement than if they were just honest with people. I heard someone say years ago that you know it's in a container when you squeeze it. Do you remember, um, some of you uh, who are old enough, might remember when it was a big deal for uh, families to go to parks and have picnics? Remember, you'd go to the park, and you'd bring your your picnic basket, and you'd cook on the grill, and you'd have, you know... And remember the little squeeze bottles you had for mustard and ketchup and mayonnaise and stuff like that? Well, my mother was unusual in the sense that every single one of her squeeze bottles were red. So I had no idea it was in it. And here's the thing. I, I know this is weird, but I am weird. I absolutely do not like ketchup, which is crazy because I love... Um, spaghetti and spaghetti sauce and pizza but I, I just don't like ketchup at all and what I despise more than ketchup is mayonnaise I mean I would tell you why but I won't I mean mayonnaise just grosses me out what I eat is mustard now we all know you put mustard on a hot dog but probably you didn't know that you put mustard on a hamburger maybe you do mustard and ketchup but just mustard I also put mustard on chicken sandwiches You know, not mayonnaise. It's just the way I am. So the point is, we get to the picnic and be all excited. And there are these three squeeze bottles. Remember, they're like cylinders and they had the little pointed top up on it. There's these three red squeeze bottles. And I'm thinking, which is which? What am I going to turn over and push onto my... So what I would do is I would take it and squeeze it. And when I would squeeze it, a little bit would come out of the top. And then I knew what it was. People will know what we are when we're squeezed. We, we know who we are when we're squeezed. Sometimes it's very easy to be a Christian and to act like a Christian when everything is going great. But really, the best testimony of our faith and our Christianity is when things are going bad, when we're having difficult times, when everything seems to be going wrong, but you still stand for Jesus Christ, you still stand on the word of truth. Now, um, the thing that's interesting here, Moses then turns around and he calls the people to himself because he realized that they were afraid, and that invitation made the people feel comfortable to come to him. And for you and I, what that means is sometimes because people sense the glory of God on us, they really do, it can be off-putting to them, and they kind of want to stand back. But if we call the people to us in the sense that we're just normal and we just love them, we just act normal around them, that can draw the people and then they're able to experience the glory of God and to hear the truth of His Word. I don't know how many times, and Vi can tell you this, that we've had people talking with us and we just sit around having conversation wherever we are and they'll say, I can't believe that I'm just sitting and talking with the pastor and his wife. Because to them... It's like the pastor and his wife are just, oh, they're just up here somewhere and, on, on some kind of a pedestal. There's a real problem being on a pedestal. It's a long fall. So anyway, uh, but they, they think, oh, the pastor and his wife, I can't believe it. They just talk to us. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just a person. This is my calling, but I'm just a person just like anyone else. And so we have to realize that we need to be that way with everyone. When people sense that we're believers, they understand that we love Jesus and we stand in his word, we need to allow them to be comfortable around us. Like if I'm around people who are unbelievers, I'm around a group of people and they're unbelievers and they're talking, and you know, a bunch of guys talking and someone drops, drops the F-bomb, I don't go, ah! oh, oh like these. I don't do any of that. You know what I say? Nothing. Usually they'll say to me, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I say, well, you don't have to ask my forgiveness. <laughs> but the point is, we need to allow people to feel comfortable around, comfortable around us. That's, why we, that's how Moses called people to, to himself, that they might feel comfortable. And then we're able to share the truth of God's Word. And then uh, the shining of the Word of God is able to touch the heart of people. It's not my word, it's the word of God. That's why whenever I have a chance to share with people, I sometimes will give my personal testimony, but my personal testimony isn't what saves anyone. Because here's what a personal testimony is, cut short, right down in in just a little couple of sentences. I was bad and now I'm good. No matter how long a person's testimony is that they give and whatever they're sharing, that's basically their testimony. I was bad and now I'm good. But do you know what people really need to hear? There's a God from heaven who came to earth in the flesh and died for your sin. Any sin you've committed can be forgiven. That's what people need to hear. Not that you were bad and now you're good. Because they would probably debate whether you really were good. But so we have to realize that is our testimony. Jesus Christ, the son of righteousness. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And that means anyone shall be saved. Now, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians, and it gives us an understanding. It says when Moses finished speaking with the people, he put a veil over his face. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, "...but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones," you know, the Ten Commandments, "...was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses," because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You and I are born again of the Spirit. Our, our ministry is of the Spirit. For if the ministry of condemnation, the law, had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. You see, people need to hear about God's grace and mercy, not his judgment. Because God's judgment comes upon those who reject His grace and mercy. But what they need to hear is His grace and mercy. You know, if I walk into a group of people and say, Hey, I just want to tell you, you're all going to hell. Probably not too many people want to hear what I have to say. But if I have a chance to speak with a group of people and I say, You want to know something? God is so gracious and merciful. No matter what problems you're dealing with, no matter what difficulties you have, no matter what sin is entangled in your life, guess what? God is full of grace and mercy. He'll forgive you, He'll purify you, and He'll fill you with His righteousness. They want to hear that. And those who receive His grace and His mercy avoid His judgment. you understand? And so we have to realize our approach should never be judgment. And sometimes you know what I'm talking about. Even if we don't walk into a group and we say, you're all going to hell. We walk into a group and our countenance and our air, and our behavior is, is, is in such a way that we're, we're saying to the people, you know what? I'm saved and you're not. I'm a good guy because I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell. You know, we have to be able to be around people that they feel comfortable enough with us that we can share the grace and mercy of God. And that is so important, brothers and sisters, because the glory fades. And so we have to understand that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. His Spirit quickens or makes alive our spirit by being born again. And the reality is that the more we're in the presence of the Lord, the more His glory is able to be reflected through us. But the reality is we have to spend time with the Lord. Like if I had someone come to me and say, you know what? I've been married for 50 years, and I have a great marriage. And I say, well, what's the secret of your marriage? I never spend time with her. I would think in my own head, you're a liar. You don't have any great marriage. You don't even have a marriage. The more time we spend together, the greater our relationship becomes. The more diff- Here's the thing. When young couples you know, come to me and they'll say, you know what? We love being married. We've never had a disagreement. We've never had an issue with one another. And it's been two days. <clears throat> but when couples come and you know, try to say that, it's not true. Because what strengthens a marriage is working through difficulty. You know, Remember the, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger book, No Pain, No Gain? If you want to build muscle up in your arm, you don't take a half-pound weight and go... Okay, I can tell those biceps are really building up. You, you take the weights and you're, you know, for me I use 7,500 pound dumbbells, just joking. But anyway, I, I take those dumbbells and, and you do it until you're getting that burn, right? Because you know it's getting strengthened. And it's the same in relationships, even in, in, in marriage. Sometimes it's the difficulties that you go through to strengthen your relationship. The fact is you work through it. If you go to the gym, and you work out, and you get sore because you worked out. That's lactic acid, by the way. But you get sore because you worked out, and you say, You know what? I'm never going to the gym again. Well, guess what? You're never going to get in shape. And in the same hand, in relationships, not just marriage, but any relationships, you're going to have differences, and you work through them. And that's how you grow in the Lord. And the more time we spend with Jesus Christ the more we're able to reflect His glory. And this is one of the weaknesses that I think all of us would admit to. We don't spend enough time with the Lord in prayer. We don't spend enough time with the Lord by just meditating on His Word. I don't mean, well, I've got a reading plan, I've got to read through the Bible, and blah, 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 you know, in so many days. I'm going to well, I'll tell you what, you do that, you're not going to... There are sometimes you open the Bible up and you read four sentences. And you're done. I mean, you're like... Wow, and you just sit there and you meditate on his word. What does that mean? What's he speaking to me? There other times you go through several chapters. But then I always tell people that when we pray, that's us talking to God. And when we read his word, that's him talking to us. Because this is the word of God to man. We need to have time with the Lord. You know, I don't want to get off and, and anything like that. But you need to have a place in your home that's designated to be with the Lord. You really do. And a place where if you're married or if you have a family, that if someone's in there, respect their space, respect their privacy, that they can have time with the Lord. It's a wonderful thing if you do that. Now, we have to realize that the radiance of God in us is always going to command people to recognize that there's something different about us. And as they get to know us, they know it's the Lord. And so as we look to the Lord and as we allow his glory to enter our heart, our cardiac, our inner man, to be reflected out to others, then we're useful to God. <clears throat> you know, we have no light of our own, right? We just reflect the light. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever done this uh, when you were a kid. I do it as a pop off It shows how sick I am, but... You ever get a mirror and you shine it in the sun and you can shine it around on people? I love bringing bringing a big mirror, like a vanity mirror, out and stand with the sun facing me. My grandkids are riding their bikes around the parking lot and stuff and go, you know, they laugh after they get up. But uh, But the point I'm getting at, that's not my light. I don't have a light bright enough to reflect, you know, that kind of radiance. It's the light of the sun. Well, it's only the light of the sun that we can reflect. We have no light of our own. It's only His light. And the reality is, there are people just riding around in this world on their little bicycles, you know, metaphorically, and in the, in the just getting, going along with the world, not even... Know, and if we shine the light of Christ on them, it's going to, it's going to catch them. People can get saved... And the Lord can do marvelous things in their lives. I mean, sometimes you read books about people that were involved in the most horrendous things you can imagine. And Jesus saved them. Jesus saved them. And so we need to be that message, that reflection to the world around us. And let me just say this. I don't want to... But if there's anyone here who's never given their life to Jesus Christ... They know about him. Maybe their family are all believers and and they're churchgoers. But if you've never really given your heart to Jesus Christ, really been born again, you're missing out on the joy and the peace that only he can give by indwelling in your heart. And so if you've never been born again, I encourage you before you even leave here today, commit your life to Christ. You can do it right where you're sitting. You can come up and talk to me or Vi, whoever you, someone else you might feel comfortable with. But don't live your life just thinking you're a believer because everyone else in your family is. You have to be born again. Scripture says, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. That's the fact. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we pray that, your Word and your holy Spirits able to break through to any part of our heart that we 're holding uh, just hostage and, and not allowing it to be free to come to you. Help us to give our whole life to you, Lord, every aspect of our life that we live in such a way that we are a reflection of your glory to the world around us. Minister to each one's here, each one who is here, Lord, whatever their need might be whether it be a physical need, whether it be a spiritual or social or need, whatever it might be, Lord, I ask that you would come and minister to them and encourage them in all all that you have in store for their life. And so, Father, we pray and ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends. Have a great day. Don't forget to grab a palm on the way out.